So um, before we get started this morning, um, let's just pray. Father, we, um, we're grateful to be here this morning, Lord. We're grateful for a new day of life. And Father, we ask for um, your guidance and your presence in this room as we study um, a difficult topic this morning, Lord. Will you guide my words, help me to speak only the truth that you want me to say? And Father, will you um, help each of us as we receive this into our minds and our hearts? Will you make it clear? Father, instruct us. Lord, show us how to um, be obedient to you within these truths. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've covered, um, after today, we will have covered most of the first two chapters of 1 John. And as Lisa introduced us at the very beginning, John covers a lot of things, and then he circles back around, and then he covers something new, and he circles back around again. But I was um, thinking as I was preparing about all the really substantive things that we have already talked about in these first two chapters. We've talked about what it means to live in the light or in the darkness, how to have fellowship with the Father and the Son. We've talked about how to be honest about our sin, how to recognize the need for our obedience, how to avoid the fleeting things of the world in lieu of the things that are eternal. And that's a lot of pretty big stuff in just the last three weeks and in just two short chapters. So... Today, where we land is we're going to take a very specific look at those who John is talking about who are not truth-tellers, individuals um, that are committed to filling hearts and minds with counterfeit ideas, and we're going to learn how to recognize that, and we're going to learn how we are prepared for all of that. So first, I would like for us to start with this. This is um, Pikes Peak in Colorado Springs, Colorado. This is what it looks like when you are down below it and you're looking up toward the Rockies. And then this is what it looks like when you're up on the top and this is your view from the top of Pikes Peak. Pikes Peak is 14,000 feet in altitude. It's the highest summit in the Rockies. And um, several years ago, during a visit to Colorado Springs, um, Jeff and I and some dear friends had the opportunity to drive up to the top of Pikes Peak. Um, And it was warm when we left um, at the bottom in Manitou Springs, but it was not warm when we got to the top and it was foggy and a little bit of snow and a little bit of junk was falling out of the air. So our drive up the mountain, um, up those 14,000 feet, was very careful and cautious. And I have to tell you, as we drove up that road, there were drop-offs all the way up on both sides of us. In my opinion, there were far too few guardrails of the low variety, I would have been very happy had there been guardrails. I mean, you want to see the view, but you also have this distinct feeling of, I need protection up here. So you could say that I'm a lover of guardrails. So that was my drive up Pikes Peak. Here's what happens every June 
on Pikes Peak. They call it the race to the clouds, a dangerous hill climb like no other, up a mountain that has claimed many lives. One of the longest running car races in the world, this is Pikes Peak, the dangerous race into the clouds. This is a poorly paved and vicious snake run of a trail, a hill climb like nothing else. It's nearly 12 and a half miles long, has 156 turns, and it's divided into three sections. Now from the moment that you leave the starting line, you will climb straight into airline territory, pulling yourself into the heavens as you endure nearly an entire mile of vertical. So, I didn't know about that race until the day that we went and drove up Pikes Peak. My husband, of course, was full of information about how this works every year. But I don't know if you noticed or not, but um, did you did you happen to see how few guardrails there were on that road? Like, almost zero? So, um, I'm using this today to help us think about something. The message that John is giving in the first in the second chapter rather of 1 John is he is just straight out teaching a lesson on how to recognize heresy, false teaching and counterfeits. And I have to say that the immediate image that came into my mind as I started to think about this topic was whether we have a guardrail or whether we're in danger of a drop-off. And I don't like the idea of those drop-offs very much. So we're going to move through the drop-offs and get to the guardrails. Okay, so that is our theme for this morning, drop-offs and guardrails. So the problem that we're going to encounter in just one second is, who is it that has the spirit of the Antichrist that John is talking about in chapter 2. And how do we go about identifying those who would choose to mislead us? But just before we start that, I want to think with you for just a moment about what John means in verse 18 when he says that they are in the last hour. His words are, the last hour is here. Now, the last hours that this world that we live in would know in John's time and knows in our time, those hours began the moment that Jesus was resurrected, and John knew that. John was present when Jesus himself said to his disciples as he was describing his second coming, he said, of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son himself, only the Father. And in Scripture, as we read about that second coming and the last days before Jesus arrives, there are certain warnings that we're told to watch out for, certain things that are going to happen. But the truth is that most of those signs have happened through every generation since Jesus walked the earth. So clearly, even though the first century Christians Their expectation was that Jesus was going to return in their lifetime. Clearly, that was not God's intent, because here we are in 2023. 
But what is um, taught to them, just as it is taught to us, is that we need to be ready. We need to be alert. We need to be watching and prepared because we are all looking forward as believers to this one divine event that will occur, the second coming of Jesus. Now, last week, you'll remember that Kristen talked to us about the dichotomies that appeared earlier in this chapter. She talked about obedience versus disobedience, about love versus hate, And the last one that she mentioned, that is in verses 15 to 17, the verses that immediately precede where we start this week, was the fleeting versus the eternal. And it is within that context of things that are fleeting versus those that are eternal that John begins to talk about the spirit of the Antichrist. This is the place where we begin to identify what is this drop-off that is presented to us by those who have the spirit of the Antichrist and teach from that point of view. Now, the biggest thing that you can think about as you hear the word Antichrist is this single word, counterfeit. It is a substitute that someone, some group, is trying to present that does not give the complete story of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that wants to put something else in its place, not as a supplement, but a replacement. So it's clear that we have these drop-offs, and I want you to understand the drop-offs within the, char- within the context of the characteristics of the Antichrist. And as you jot down these four things that are important to remember, I want you to think about the fact that John is talking about false teachers who were present in the first century and the way that they were a threat to the believers that he was writing to. But we have as much or more of this going on today as they did in the first century. It's not just in people who are talking to us the way these things would have been transferred in John's day, but we have it on the shelves in our bookstores, on television, on social media, in classrooms, behind some pulpits, There are theories, teachings, and philosophies that are all around us all the time, all around our children, our college students. And none of them are based on a real encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. They are, in fact, counterfeits. So this is how we go about recognizing the work and words of those who have the spirit of the Antichrist. First of all, the very word itself, Antichrist, when we we hear that prefix, anti, what do we think of? Against, the opposite of, a rival to this thing. You know, we have antifreeze so that our car fluids don't freeze up. We we talk about someone who might be antisocial who can't, cope very well in a room full of people. We take antibiotics because they are the opposite of the bacteria that is invading and brings us illness and disease. 
So basically, when we think of something being against Christ, this is a teaching or a philosophy that says that Jesus is not the Messiah, that he did not come from the Father, that he did not walk the earth as the Son of God, fully man and fully God at the same time. And by denying those things, they are denying that Jesus came as the sacrifice and the atonement for my sins and yours. Now, I want to make a clarification here because I don't want there to be any confusion. I am not talking about people who, as believers, sometimes have doubts about exactly what something means or exactly how much God loves them or how they know and interpret certain things. I'm not talking about people who have strayed away for a season from what God originally wanted them to do. Antichrists are people whose beliefs are pronounced. It's clear in what they say and teach that they're not teaching from normal struggles of faith. They are promoting outright heresy which is a conscious, willful departure from the basic tenets of belief in God. And when I say basic tenets, I mean things like the truth of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Jesus' deity and humanity, his atoning death and resurrection. So by definition, because they deny all of that, they are not Christians. False teachers are plentiful, and we need to remember that. In John's day and in ours, he says right here in Scripture, there are many of them. They're all around us. And sometimes we experience these um, opposing views so often that we begin to not even really think of it as false teaching. And so often it it sounds okay. You know, the portion that we hear, and as far as it goes, it sounds okay. But the problem is that it's inadequate. It doesn't go far enough. You know, we hear that we can live our best lives through self-fulfillment, but it never approaches the truth about Jesus Christ. There are 11 major world religions only one of them claims that Jesus is the Son of God and that he came to redeem the world. In the city of Charlotte, there are churches with nice names, and they are seemingly, at first glance, places where truth is taught. But there are some that are places of heresy and confusion, and they focus not on Jesus Christ, but they focus predominantly on a theme of social justice or love within the community. And in addition to that, there are all types of secular teachings, self-help instructors, that's the word that we often use to describe them, that teach that all the power that we need to live our lives is within us and within whatever five- or seven-step approach they're promoting. So as you see, it's all around you. Now, 
The third one is one that's kind of concerning. They often come from within the church. And John says that right here in verse 19. He says that the false teachers that he is aware of, that they left their churches. They never really belonged to us. Otherwise, they would have stayed. Those are John's words. And here's the explanation of that. Often, an individual with the spirit of the Antichrist may have started out in a Bible-believing church. But then, for whatever reason, began to rebel against the truth that was being shared there and what they were being taught. And maybe the rebellion was against the authority of the scripture. And so they broke away to begin to teach different doctrines and to promote different lifestyles. But here's the tricky part. They know the Christian lingo. They know the habits and the behaviors of the Christian culture. So oftentimes, it is easier for them to fool those who lack discernment. Now, that doesn't mean that every false teacher once masqueraded as a Bible-believing Christian. But what John is saying is that it is true of some of them. And then there are many others outside of Christianity who tra- whose words trap unbelievers and sometimes can lead us to a little bit of confusion. These individuals, here's, here's bottom line, ladies, these individuals never truly experienced the saving grace of Jesus Christ. John says it right here. He says, if they truly believed, they would not have left us. Had they been truly united to Christ, by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, they would have remained. Now, I want to pause for just a second. Um, How many of you would say right now that on a scale of 1 to 10 of uncomfortableness with the topic, you're somewhere on that that scale? You're a 1, a 2, a 3. Raise your hands with me, because I'm raising my hand, okay? Now, the reason I'm asking you that question is this. This idea of the spirit of the Antichrist being present in the world and um, being part of what people around me were being influenced by, this used to be a really scary deal to me. Um, And it took me a while because I kept wondering, Lord, how am I going to know this for sure? How am I always going to be confident that I am recognizing your truth from heresy or just from what sounds like a really good idea but doesn't go as far as it needs to go? Well, I want to give you the answer to that today because, ladies, we do not need to live in a state of fear or uncomfortableness with this idea of the spirit of the Antichrist and false teaching around us. What I needed to learn and what each of us needs to walk out of here today knowing is that there is no fear of this because we live in the light of Jesus Christ. And you live in the light of Jesus Christ as we have been over now multiple times because you made a decision 
that you would claim him as your savior and as the son of God. And the moment that you did that, God put guardrails around you. Guardrails that prevent you from the drop-offs. So as we get ready to talk about those guardrails, I want you to remember this one truth. We, all of us, believers in Jesus Christ, we have nothing in common with Antichrist. Nothing. Nothing in common with false teachers. We are new creations. Jesus Christ has transformed us by the power of his spirit. So we don't have to worry, oh no, am I doing this? Oh no, am I going to fall prey to this? Because God has these guardrails for us. The first one is that we have the Holy Spirit living within each one of us. In the 20th verse of chapter 2, John says, You have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. Now, how were we anointed? You need to walk out of here believing, I am anointed. And how did that happen to you? It happened the moment that you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we are promised in Scripture that the moment we do that, the Holy Spirit is given to live in us, to teach us, to show us the things that we need to know. John assures these readers in the 27th verse, he says, the Spirit teaches you, and he is teaching you this morning, ladies, through the study of the Bible, through the study of his scriptures. He was teaching you before you walked in here today when you did your lesson. He teaches you through the teaching of faithful believers in Jesus Christ, through the reading of scripture, through the words of fellow believers who encourage you. And the Holy Spirit himself speaks into your minds. All those resources are available to the Holy Spirit to change you and grow you from the inside out. In Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, I love this passage of scripture. Paul wrote, and now you have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ... He identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit who he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. That's who you are. You are God's anointed with the Holy Spirit living inside you today. Now, the second thing is that we know God's saving truth. And how can we be sure of that? Because of number one. Because it is the job of the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. In Jesus' own words in the 16th chapter of the Gospel of John, he says the presence of the Spirit in your life brings you permanent spiritual knowledge. It is not a matter, please hear this, it is not a matter of you knowing 
everything that the Bible says. It's not a matter of you knowing every detail, every scripture, every reference. That is not the point here. The point is that you know the saving truth of Jesus Christ. That if you had to today explain the gospel to another person, every one of you in this room could do that. Every one of you could say, the gospel is that Jesus came to earth as God's son, died and was resurrected for my sins and for yours. In 2 Peter 2, 3, when we were studying that last semester, Peter wrote that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Now, one more thought on number two right here about God's saving truth. We're told in the fourth chapter that we studied in this week's lesson, in those first six verses of chapter four, John makes reference to the fact that we should test the spirits, that we should be able to know the difference between words that are motivated by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and by the Spirit of Jesus Christ versus words that could be motivated by an Antichrist. And how is it that we have the sensitivity to do that? How is it that you and I can sense the difference between truth and falsehood? It's really simple. It's really not complicated. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to do that. When you are in a tricky place and you're trying to sort that out, he is present with you speaking into your mind. And when you have that sense within you that something about this is not quite right, that is the Spirit of God prompting you to ask yourself, is this consistent with what I know about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Finally, we've been given discernment. Discernment is a really important word because it means that you and I have been given the ability to know when things are right and when they are not. And because the work of the Spirit impresses that gospel into us, we can tell the difference between truth and error. We don't have to walk around thinking, am I going to know? Am I going to know? You're going to know. And when you know, and when you have that check within you of, I'm not sure this is okay, you need to go with that. You need to accept the fact that the Spirit is moving in your life. Now, I want to tell you, ladies, you are engaging every week right now in one of the practices that builds discernment in your heart and in your mind. You are studying the Word of God. It is the Word that transforms, that challenges us every week. And at any moment that you are concerned about something you are hearing or seeing and whether or not it is consistent with that Word, all you have to do is say, Lord, I need some personal discernment here. And he's going to give that to you. He has promised it to you. And if you fear that someone else you know is falling into the prey of false teaching, then your role is to pray for that person and to ask the Lord to bring them away from that, to give them the discernment not to follow that. 
And remember from chapter 1 of 1 John, you are in constant fellowship with the Father and the Son. You are never away from God's love and protection. So let's wrap this up. I guess you can probably tell I have a little passion for this topic this morning. Okay, so the oldest of our two sons, when he was a senior in high school, he went with his class to New York City on a class trip. And they thought they were something. And um, so we got a call from him one night, and they had been down in the area of the city, and um, the name of this area is failing me right now. It's that area where you go, and you can stand, and you can look out and, and have a really nice, clear view of the Statue of Liberty. You know what I'm talking about. Okay. And so they had been down there, and he'd seen the Statue of Liberty and everything. But something happened to him that we hadn't prepared him for. And um, he called us later that evening to check in, and he said, Mom and Dad, the coolest thing happened today. And he said, I met this guy when we were down there viewing the Statue of Liberty, and he sold me a real Rolex. Wait, wait for it. For $10. And Jeff and I, you know, we're, you know how, how as parents you're, you're on the phone and you're trying to figure out, do we burst this bubble right now or do we wait until he's back home and give him the really bad news? But he was so excited. But here's the reality. Well, I need to tell you before I, I say this part, that watch worked for one week. Um, But the truth of the matter was, we had not given him a guardrail that he needed. We were aware of it, and we should have said to him before he went, Honey, there are people on the streets in New York that can open their coats and sell you anything you can dream of. But we had forgotten to do that. So the penalty for him was small. It was a little bit of his spending money. But it was a truth that he never forgot. Because deception is tricky. And sometimes it costs us a little bit of money or a little bit of pride. Sometimes counterfeits and deceptions cost us relationships, resources. Some break our hearts. Some affect our bank accounts. But the biggest drop-offs, which we have talked about today, are those that are spiritually counterfeit and can break people's souls. So, as we finish this up today, we do not want to underestimate the power that these messages around us play in the lives of those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. But we want to be careful and confident as we walk through this life knowing that our guardrails are up and they're strong and they're as tall as they need to be through the fellowship that we have with the Father and the Son, and through the presence of the Holy Spirit who lives in our hearts. Let me pray for us before we go to our groups. Father, um, we're challenged this morning, Lord, and we admit to you that um, this is not a real comfortable idea for us. 
So we pray, Lord, that you will continue to strengthen us in your word, to strengthen our hearts and minds, and Father, to give us the assurance that we need, the strong assurance that your spirit lives within us and that you will always show us truth from error. So, Lord, as we discuss this lesson, I pray that it will become ever more clear to us. And we thank you for these protections, and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.